so last week we kicked off the, the, a three-week series that will end the year on disciplines of a godly man. And bonus points in heaven for anyone who remembers the discipline we talked about last week. Anybody remember? Yeah. Assembling together, to gather, right, to gather. Uh, we've actually been talking about this as a church staff for a while now. I mean, what are three easy words we could use to help us understand the individual commitments we make to be part of the body? And if you really think about three easy words, we, we've thought about it as we, we commit to gather, we commit to grow in our faith, and we commit to go, right? So gather, grow, and go. It's pretty simple. We're gathering together around the Word. We gather for worship. Uh, we grow. We cultivate our faith. I'm going to talk about that next week, what that means, a discipline we can have to be intentional about growing in our faith. But that third one is go, going, investing in others, serving others. Those are all commitments we need to be making to be part of the body, to gather, to grow, and to go. And so when I started thinking about who could best lead us in a discussion about what it means to go, what it means to serve others, I thought about Gene. And so, so I just would love Gene to be able to share with you guys today. He's got a great text series to walk through. Um, hold on real quick. Uh, you got a great text series to walk through, uh, but just one thing I would ask you guys to do is just in your prayers, pray for this man. Uh, I feel like God's called and asked him to do a lot. He has been shepherded and equipped through this class and through so many people here at our church. He's an ordained pastor now. Um, we've given Gene a very interesting job description. And it's probably the, it, it, we actually have a really long job description, but it, I could summarize it in one sentence. And Gene's job description is, go and do stuff. And, 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 I, and, I, and I mean that as, as sincerely as I possibly can, to go and do stuff. Uh, because where Gene tends to go and do stuff, God's there and he tends to be a lot of people with him and amazing things happen. And so, so we've told him, go out into the city, go into the community, and I promise you, he has more structure than this. But go and do stuff. And so Gene is serving all across the city, uh, being an ambassador for our church, speaking to different groups, serving different nonprofits, getting people engaged out at the community center, uh, really being a, a, a true spirit of what it means to serve this city on behalf of our church. And so I would just ask you to pray for him because um, I think when we've asked him to do a lot and God's doing a lot through him, the enemy's also attacked. And I think he's had as many challenges health, everything that I could imagine in, in one, two-year time frame that I could ever really anyone walk through. So be praying for Gene, um, that God will continue to provide him the strength, the wisdom, uh, as well as the way to do his work. So with all that introduction, Gene, come on up. We'll, I appreciate wow. you sharing the lesson today. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. And um, guys, it's so good to see you guys again. It's been some time. Um, I've been busy at the community center and like Blake said, out in the community. So um, it's good to be back in here with you, and I'm excited for this message to share um, today. And, and I, I prayed uh, all um, week, uh, last week, and preparing, um, even having some conversations with some of you guys about direction and just what God was laying on my heart to share with you. So um, I put together something that I'm, I hope will be uh, an encouragement for you. I know it's encouragement for me, like Blake said, to just go and do stuff that uh, if God's salvation uh, is capable for anyone, then no one is outside of our reach. Um, so we, uh, we go, we just go, we go after every opportunity that he puts before us. Uh, 
I think uh, it's not in my lesson today, but thinking about specifically what he's talking about, it's almost like a metal detector. Those old metal detectors on a beach, uh, you know, you're scanning and then you find something and I start digging. And, um, and I, I just love that opportunity to see what God's been doing in other people's lives. And when we find that richness, um, we grow from that and we continue to go out and seek and look for those opportunities. So today we're going to talk about why do we serve, and I'm just going to go ahead and open us up in discussion at your tables. I'm going to ask you this question. Um, why do we, as Christ-centered followers, why do we serve one another? What is our mission in that? So I'll give you some time at your tables to discuss that question. Well, I hope I've given you guys enough time to uh, have a good discussion about this question. Uh, I'm interested to know if anyone's willing to share. Uh, why do we serve as Christ-centered followers? To help us and them. To help us and them. What else? Yeah. We're going to find out today, too, as Jesus teaches his disciples a very important lesson about serving and how he'll work through him. What else, guys? That's right. You know, uh, what we see in Scripture is his evidence of life in the moment. He shows teaching and healing. To, he, sh he gives us examples. And in his, in his absence, visually, he's still here with us, but he works through us. So that call into, so that others may see him in us, is very important. Well, I had a few um, answers to give you. And when I thought about this question specifically, the first thing that came to my mind was to glorify God through Jesus. That was the first thing that came and what that meant. And what that meant to me that when I first started thinking about that, that meant that the works that I would do on my own does not please God. It does not do anything for what he's accomplished. Um, the fact that um, we have an opportunity to participate in something that Jesus has done is what pleases God. And I say that because Paul even reminds us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So in order for me to glorify God, I must do it through his presence, through his son. And when I thought about that a little bit deeper, I realized that God reveals his glory through Jesus. We get to know who God is because of his son. And it's just this beautiful understanding that all the way up to the point of Jesus's life, there was the law, there was all of these experiences and all these talks but Jesus himself becomes the source in which God would reveal his salvation and his glory through his own ability, through his son. So it, it becomes that for us, as we see the full story, the full context, the idea in order for us to glorify God, we do it through Jesus. Our works are a means, so our, our, we are justified by our faith in Christ. There's no sacrifice to that because he sacrificed all of it to fulfill the law and to die for our sin to perpetuate or per, yeah per propitiate propitiate big word for gene we'll, we'll stop with the big words <clears throat> we'll get back so <clears throat> our faith requires i believe one thing from us and that that is that we must get behind jesus and we're going to talk about that today because we're going to see some of peter's mistakes as an early on disciple and i love peter peter is one of 
uh, the characters of the Bible that encourages me. Uh, specifically, I feel like his nature oftentimes um, um, I can um, maybe s- sympathize with is one to act first, think later, um, uh, jump out in front and um, put intentions in front and, uh, and go with that manner. And, and he's constantly having to learn. So uh, it's a, it, he gives us beautiful insight into what it is to follow Jesus. Secondly, I think we have to understand to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We have to know that as we love one another, we have to know how that love was given to us, that Jesus loved us. And he provides us a manner in which love for ourselves is the love that we extend in, in, in to our neighbors. And that way, and like scripture tells us, that this is how the world will know who we are, that we're his disciples by the love that we show to the world that comes from him. And love like this, true love in this form, can hurt. It can be very difficult. Um, I think that there's many examples and experiences that we could all share in here where um, at times it may be so difficult we want to just give up because it just doesn't seem worth it. But I'm reminded of the mercy that Jesus showed and the grace that he showed and the forgiveness that he had for us. And if he was willing to go through all of that suffering to go to the cross, even just for me, then I have to, as a follower of him, be willing to demonstrate um, that forgiveness and mercy and grace to others. So I also believe that in order for us to be filled with God's love in our heart and mind, we must strive, like Blake said earlier, to strengthen those areas that we gather and grow and go. And so much that I wrote it down is in, in prayer uh, and worship together and studying the Bible and then looking for opportunities to apply that in our lives. Recently, I was talking with Dr. Cliff Sanders, and he just shared a quote with me that I have just absolutely loved, and I'm going to share it with you. And he says, we have to understand that God's love doesn't give out, give up, or give in. It doesn't give out, give up, or give in. And when I thought about that a little bit deeper throughout the week, I started to think of this beautiful illustration of a boat dock. And when a boat, and we're in the boat, and we're tied to this dock, and we pull the rope towards the dock, you know, what moves? We move, right? The dock doesn't move. The dock is stationary, and the dock is a lot like God's will. God's will will not change because we want it to change. God's will is stationary. It's good. And when we pull on that rope, and if that rope is like our prayer life, or our study of his word, or the application to walk faithfully as he's called us, we draw nearer to his will. It pulls us in closer. So God's love does not give out, give up, or give in. Lastly, our faith in Christ is active. James reminds us of this in scripture. He says that faith without works is dead. And he doesn't mean that faith plus works equals salvation. He means that works are a result of an active faith in Christ that those works will be quite evident in your life as we pursue a relationship with Jesus. And lastly, when I was putting all those together, the thought that came to mind was the gospel message does not produce continuous spectators. It mobilizes hearers of the word into doers so as to make spiritual change in others as God has made in us. We love because he loved us first. We serve because he served us first. So today we're going to be looking at uh, the book of Matthew, specifically the feeding of 5,000, Jesus walking on water, Peter confessing Jesus as Christ, 
and Peter's response to Jesus for telling his death and resurrection. I know it seems like a lot. I promise that we're going to uh, examine a few things and it'll all come together towards the end of this lesson. But first, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like for you to go ahead and open to Matthew 14. And we'll start at verse 13. The feeding of 5,000. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now it was, uh, it was evening and the disciples came to him and they said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send these crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they need not go away. They have done nothing wrong. You, <clears throat> you give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the the loaves and he gave to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of leftover. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. The first thing I want to stop here and, and talk about is this account, this miracle that Jesus' work is, is, is in all four Gospels. So we have four perspectives um, that we can draw to for this specific scene that happens. And due to time today, we won't go through each one of those Gospels, but I would encourage you to read through those later. I will, however, pick a few points from some of the Gospels in order to draw home um, the message that I believe Jesus is giving his disciples. So first, what I want you guys to see is that a very large crowd um, has come from distant areas, and they're in a desolate area. Um, Some would say probably, I think it's the northeast area of the Galilee, in a section that would have been a little bit desolate from um, Judea and into maybe the border of uh, some of the Gentile countries. In Mark's gospel specifically, it says when Jesus sees the crowd that he had compassion for him, it was like they were sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them things. So I want to look at this moment in the perspective from the disciples. Notice, I want you guys to notice that as the day grew late, they're tired. Basically, they're tired. And they went to Jesus to say, send them away. They're a burden to them. You know, whether or not they were thinking about the safety of the people or them getting food, they looked at the needs of others as a burden. And I love what Jesus reminded them of. They, not, they don't need to go away. Feed them. And I love that he gave them a question. Because when I think about it, and, I'm, and this is just my own opinion, but I'm thinking if I was in the moment, how easy is it as Christians, as we do this today, that when we feel called to do something from God, we try to solve it. We try to give it a solution. We try to say, you know, maybe I can figure out this need. Maybe I can help somebody who's homeless get a home, or maybe I can, and I have to, I have to picture that Jesus is standing there like, hi guys, I'm right here. I'm your answer. And think about it also in this context. Jesus could have easily snapped his fingers or said the word, and bread would have come down from the sky, and they would have fed the people. But he uses this moment as a teaching moment for his disciples. He, he basically is showing them that I am your source. I will provide you the miracle. I will provide you the answer. 
have faith in me. And he uses the disciples as how we would look as being a follower of Christ, as how he'll work through us. He provides them the food. They fill their baskets. They're going up and down this mountainside to feed the other people and going back up. And, you know, every time they're going up, there's, there's more food. There's more food all the way until everyone is fed. And that there's even um, food for them to eat. In fact, in Mark's gospel, Jesus sends them back down to the crowd to ask to um, get the leftover foods. Next, I, I, I want you guys to, um, to see that as, as we look at the needs of others and um, that understanding that it's not a burden to us, it is truly why we exist because the needs of others provide us the bridge for ministry. And ministry is meeting the needs in some capacity as an opportunity to open the door to have conversation about the gospel. Jesus shows us so many examples, that, like I was saying earlier, of where he would heal people and then he would teach who he was. He would meet their needs and then teach who he was. He was giving them a living example of, this is what I'm going to call you to do. When I'm gone, after all this, this is how the church will move on and continue to, to build. <clears throat> so um, as we move forward, I, I, I do want you to just keep thinking about this is a learning experience because this next section, Jesus walking on water, this is a beautiful, beautiful understanding that I don't think the disciples caught on. And what I mean by that is as we go into verse 22, it says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. And <clears throat> when, I think of, um, when I think of this specifically, what I'm, what I'm intending for you to see is that maybe in some ways the disciples were a bit frustrated long day. Remember, they're tired. They wanted Jesus to send the crowd away. And now they've had to work for, who knows, a couple hours to feed this crowd. So I can't help but think that maybe we don't have any context this, but maybe Peter was talking or one of the other disciples of like, why doesn't he just do this himself? Why do we have to keep doing this? So Matthew picks up and says, immediately he made the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds, and after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And now in the fourth hour of the watch uh, at night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, is it, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out here to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning, uh, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those that were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Oh, guys, this is a powerful, powerful section. And I'm going to stay here for just a, a few seconds because, again, I think the disciples hadn't really got this teaching moment. Immediately Jesus sends them across the Sea of Galilee, much like the size of Lake Hefner, 10, maybe 12 miles. Um, you've, got, um, you've got disciples in this boat that are fishermen that have fished these waters for years. So the fact that they were stranded for hours, the fourth hour of the watch means they were close to morning. They had been there all night rowing. 
And when we look at Mark's gospel, and this is the only one that accounts for this in Mark's gospel, it says, Jesus intended to pass them by, to walk by them. But when he heard them cry out, he had compassion. And I really dwelt on this for, this is the direction that I was wrestling with for a couple of weeks. Um, we have a choice to make, I believe, that we can try to live our life in our own way. And if we do, I don't think we should be surprised when we find ourselves rowing in a rough sea uh, and battered winds and going nowhere and being terrified. I think that what Jesus is showing is that, or you can choose to follow me. And <clears throat> the one who will calm the sea the one who can walk on it, the one who gives life, and the one who provides rest and peace if we would merely come to him. This opportunity, if we're willing to participate in faith, can do supernatural things. And we see that because when I look at Peter stepping out, I don't see Peter stepping out of the boat out of faith. I think Peter stepping out of the boat in doubt because he says, Jesus, command me to come out here and I'll do it. That's not faith. That's saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to be the only guy in the group here that's just going to recognize that this is amazing. So if I can come out here, will you tell me to? And Jesus affirms that because as he takes a few steps out, he says, come. And he starts to sink and he calls out for Jesus to save him. Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And I feel like this is a profound part of the feeding of 5,000 and how he's working through his disciples and this moment of showing that I am the source I will give you rest. I will give you peace. You need not be afraid of anything if you would merely come to me. And so as we transition to this, I, I want us to keep that in the back of our mind. We've seen a miracle happen. We have the opportunity um, to either find the solution ourselves or trust that Jesus is the source to provide us that opportunity. If we're going to walk on water, we have to have faith. We know Jesus can do supernatural things. He has the ability. He has the ability to move mountains. He tells us that faith can move mountains. So let's transition quickly to uh, Peter confessing who Jesus is. And this is going to be in chapter 16, verse 13. Again, I feel like all this will tie together, guys. Uh, this is really a profound area that uh, really motivated and encouraged me. In verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, you, who do people say the Son of Man is? And some say that you are John the Baptist, and others say that you're Elijah, others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in who is in heaven. And I tell you, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This, um, this scene is just remarkable, guys. There's so much for us to unpack, and um, I hope that you'll be able to follow along with where I'm going with this. Um, first, we, we, we really need to recognize um, this question, Jesus asking the disciples, who do you say I am? I have to look at it as in like, it was almost a, a, a setup in a way for his disciples. You have to think that these disciples have grown up in Judea, 
belief system, their, their, their Jewish upbringing uh, to the law, blasphemy would have been a serious crime, would have been a serious thing in their heart. And I think this conviction, this question, they were avoiding the answer. They knew the obvious because we just saw when they were in the boat that they said, truly, you are the son of God. But right here in this moment when being asked, it's like they're dodging it. They're all, they're, John, I mean, we all, we see John's opening gospel that Jesus was in the beginning. He was the word and with the word. But in this moment, he says nothing. But God bless Peter. (laughs) I love Peter because I have to think that maybe the silence was killing the group. And he was looking around at the faces like, guys, come on, we know this answer. Is somebody not going to say it? Fine, I'll say it. You are the Christ. And the next line that he says, you are the son of the living God, that is a profound statement because in their Jewish belief, God was singular in their, in their minds. There wasn't a Holy Spirit. There wasn't a, a, a plurality to God. There wasn't a Godhead or a Trinity. There was just one God. The fact that Peter is introducing that there is a separation between God and the Godhead is a profound thinking. That wouldn't have been something that would have come from flesh. It would have been that full understanding of understanding that, that, that God truly was in his son and this is his son. And <clears throat> we, um, we're now being introduced to that idea. And what was even more profound in that idea is this is exactly right here how Jesus is going to build the church. And I'll tell you why. And I think sometimes maybe this area gets taught differently. But when I studied this and looked at the Greek translation, Peter, the word Peter is Petros. And it is the feminine version or the definition of what a stone or boulder would be. And Petros is the masculine word for a rock or a cliffside or a mountain. So in the Greek translation, what this was saying was, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh is not revealed this, but I tell you, Peter, Petros, the stone, the boulder, that I will build my Petros, my church, I will build on this rock. So Jesus is this cornerstone. He is this cliff. He is this mountain. And by what Peter just confessed is the stone that he'll add to each block of his church by faith in his name and, and, and faith in Christ. So, <clears throat> and then another part that's just really profound here is Jesus is telling him that he will give him these keys that whatever he binds on earth will be bound in heaven. These guys aren't there yet, but we're going to see throughout the rest of the New Testament what that looks like. Literally, we see Peter given three keys to turn. And we see that at the Pentecost, Peter shares the gospel and the, the message, the Holy Spirit comes on all of these, 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 these people that have gathered. That's one key turning. What he's binding on earth is being bound in heaven. Then some disciples come and say, hey, there's some Samaritans down here that are claiming Jesus is Christ. And Peter's like, we got to go check this out. I don't know if I believe it. And he goes down and he prays with them and he puts hands on them and the Holy Spirit comes on them. This is a border outside of Israel. So now you're seeing another key turn. And then Peter hears about these Gentiles and he goes out there and, and he turns that final key because we see Paul begin to pick up where Peter leaves off. And so we're right, right here, we're seeing Jesus tell the disciples and tell Peter, he's, he's ordaining him into a form of leadership within the group. That by that answer alone, you, you have just now been introduced into something that this is going to move forward. This is how my church will grow. And this, guys, is the part where we gather, grow, go. Peter's still not going to get it right. We know he's going to have some mistakes along the way. But 
after Jesus restores him, after the resurrection, Peter goes on and he shares the gospel all the way to his death. The last thing that was perplexing, that was puzzling to me was when Jesus says to them, tell no one who I am. I really had to spend some time on this. And what I came to understand is if the disciples had left in that moment to go tell others who Jesus was, they would have been doing it in their own will. They weren't ready. They weren't ready. Jesus still had time to teach them the understanding of what was to come. So, and we see that because in the very next text that we're going to go into, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So <clears throat> we see now why Jesus charged them with not telling them. And here's the greatest example Peter has great intentions, but he's not following God's will. And I, I have to assume, again, from my own opinion, the, the scene in my mind is Peter putting his arm around Jesus, hearing that, and be like, Jesus, come over here for a second. And just like talking to him for a moment, like, no, 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 no. We're not going to let that happen. And I say that good intentions, because looking at it from the eyes of Peter, um, you know, this is his friend. This is his teacher. This is like family. And we, I think, would feel the same for our own family. We're not going to let you do that. We're not going to let that happen. So when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, I don't think he's telling Peter that you have Satan in you. I think what he's saying is, do not put your intentions before God's will. I just told you what has to happen. This has to happen. And the fact that he tells us to get behind him becomes that understanding that there is our sacrifice to our walk. There's no sacrifice for us on the benefit of what Jesus has done for us. Faith will be built on confessing who his name is and we will be added to the church and we will be built upon that. But if we're going to follow him, it does require that we surrender. We can't walk out in front of him. We can't walk out and rebuke him from the side. We must surrender to follow him, to get behind him. He will make straight our paths. So to tie that together um, and, and just recap just a little bit, um, catch up to my notes. Um, <clears throat> as we look at who do, uh, who do you say that I am, uh, we can... Um, we can be hesitant to call him God, or we can acknowledge him who he is like Peter does. Um, Christ's church is built on faith in his name. Peter rebuking Jesus in our own intentions or desires so often can get in the way of God's will. So we must surrender to Christ. We must get behind him. We've learned a lot today about Peter, the disciples, and serving in faith. And we know that the end, uh, Peter is restored, like I said, uh, after he denies Jesus three times and in the resurrection. Um, what I love about that beautiful story of re restoration is like Peter is like he's, he's fishing and then he sees Jesus on the beach, right? Um, um, and, and he's cooking and, and it's like Peter doesn't even hesitate. It's like he jumps out of the boat and starts, it's like a rush to get to Jesus. And we know when Jesus restores him, he says, do you love me? I do. Do you love me? And it's like Peter's frustration. Be like, you know my heart. I love you. And I love each moment he says, then feed my sheep. Then feed my lamb. Then, then go. 
And we see Peter from this moment know that from this moment on, he's never going to look back. So I would want to encourage us that maybe we could be bold to be like Peter and know that we'll make mistakes and we can learn. But I encourage you to draw nearer to God. Be like that boat, pull that rope, prayer, gather in worship, cultivate your faith, grow in God's word like we do in here and go. And serving in any ministry, any ministry here in this church, the foundation of this missional idea is buried in every single one. So if you're involved with kids or if you're involved with students, I can promise you that an aspect of sharing the gospel is included in that area. It's what we do. We're a Christ-centered church. Um, this isn't in my notes, but I'm going to tell you this. I had a recent experience with um, some, some folks downtown, and they said, you know, I really misjudged your church. I thought you guys were just a rich church up on the northwest side of Oklahoma City. And I said, you know, it is a really big church. It's like an oak tree. You can see it from a long way away. It's firm. It's a light to the community. But what you don't see is its roots and what its roots are in. Its roots are founded in Christ. And there have been so many faithful before us. And there's so many faithful now. And there will be faithful more to come. And I was just so encouraged that this person felt led to, to apologize in a way of saying, I misjudged. I, I just didn't know that you guys were so so caring and, uh, of the needs of others and so much in love with Christ that you would be willing to, to be here with us. And that ties me back to what I was saying earlier. If God's salvation can reach anyone, if it reached me, if it reached you, then no one is off limits to hear the gospel message. And <clears throat> I want to uh, encourage you guys to just maybe take a step out of faith, uh, in faith today, tomorrow, pray over it. If you're there now, keep praying, keep walking. If you're wanting to make that decision, come see me. I'll connect you with resources in the community. We can go out together and, and, and do this. But I always want you guys to remember that Jesus is the source and the need, and he will supply the needs for others. He will provide it for us. We don't need to look uh, at the needs of others as a burden or try to solve the need. <clears throat> only to be faithful to him and allow him to work through us. In fact, their needs are like a bridge, like I said earlier, to share the gospel, to serve others. He is capable of doing supernatural things. And if we choose not to doubt him and keep our eyes on Christ, I promise you that he will do supernatural things through you. Jesus is the son of the living God. And he is the building um, of this church. He is the cornerstone. He's the foundation of what everything we do. And in faith in him and the accomplished work that he is, he has been able to do. So following him does require us for us to get behind him, guys. He follows God's will, so we must follow his. I love this quote. I'm going to end it with um, a couple verses in, in this quote I came across. Uh, Mother Teresa. I love this. It says, charity begins today. Today, somebody is in the street. Today, somebody is hungry. Our work is for today. Yesterday is gone and tomorrow has not yet come. We only have today to make Jesus known, loved, served, fed, clothed, and sheltered. Do not wait for tomorrow. Tomorrow we may not have them if we don't feed them today. Later on in Peter, Peter's life in 1 Peter 4.10, Peter sums it up like this. As each have received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace, Whoever speaks 
as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves with the strength that God supplies in order that everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And we cannot, we cannot save anyone, but Jesus can. Like I said, guys, it's not beyond his reach. Therefore, no one is off limits to us. So I ask you to be bold like Peter. And if you feel it in your heart today, feeling that nudge, let's go. Let's, let's get involved. Let's go out into the community. And guys, it doesn't have to be serious all the time. I look at uh, opportunities as subtle conversations that build to serious conversations. And I pray for a spiritual change. So when I meet people in the community, I try to meet them where they are. And do they know Jesus? Okay, they do. Well, let's move into a serious talk about Jesus and pray for a supernatural experience for them. Um, <clears throat> I think that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate in my life that I didn't grow up necessarily. I grew up Catholic, so I didn't grow up necessarily in an evangelistic um, life or understood the EE years of uh, saving people on the street corners or knocking on doors. But it's very interesting that God equipped me for evangelism because in my heart, there's only, the only thing I want to do is to glorify him. And by glorify him, that just means that I have to be his living light everywhere I go. And I'm, I'm thankful that I wasn't introduced to those things because I feel like they're, they're ideas or they're structures. Or, and, and forgive me if that was you at one point. I'm not judging that. But what I'm just saying is that I believe Jesus just calls us to have forgiveness, mercy, and grace to demonstrate who he was to people in order for them to have a relationship with him. And it, it seems very simple to me, guys, but um, I want to encourage you guys to always understand that God's love does not give up, give out, or give in. Thank you, guys. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us real quick, and then you're free to stay and have some conversation. Father, thank you so much for this day, and Lord, I'm, I'm thankful for your, your word, the truth, and Father, I'm thankful of your perfection and, and everything that you are, because Lord, we're not perfect, and the fact that you can work through us, um, Lord, is just a, another amazing way of glorifying you, and Father, I'm thankful for your son, Jesus, who gave us a way. He was the truth. He was the way. He was a shepherd in our lives and in the lives then and even now, 2,000 years later, your word still stands true. So, Father, I pray for the hearts of the men in this room and their families with whatever might be going on in their lives. Lord, I pray that you may give them some peace and comfort. And, Father, I pray that you may ignite a flame in us, that the words to love one another as you have loved us do not become just a source of words, but become a living flame in us, that we have the desire to just go out and serve others in a manner that would only, only glorify your name. I pray for this church, its leaders, its pastors, its volunteers, this congregation, and this community, Father, that your spirit may move in us and equip us and grow us to the measure in which you have called us. I'm thankful again for you, Lord, and humbly will always, Father, come to you before Jesus in his name. Amen. Thank you, guys.